Blog Talk Radio. Sometimes I get a little mad Don't you know no one alive Can always be an ninja When things go wrong You're bound to see some bad But I'm just a soul Hi, welcome everyone. I'm Sean. I'm the host of the People's Medicine Show. Um, I'm not an herbal expert, but I'm an herbal student, and I suppose I'm an herbalist to my friends who've uh, perhaps studied a little bit less. A lot of people ask me about herbs, but I do this monthly show every uh, month um, irregularly. Uh, Last month I missed it, but I'm a Let me introduce myself if you've never heard the show before. I'm a previous Live Out Apprentice with Susan Weed, and I'm a current mentorship uh, student where I do distance learning with Susan. Um, This show is about, I want it to be about herbs, but I also want to explore and talk about a lot of everything. And um, so the theme I picked for today's show is um, the appeal of novelty. Because I was looking at all fallacies of how people um, trip themselves up. And I noticed that the appeal to novelty, which means something that's new, something that adds variety, I tend to am drawn to that. And um, oftentimes I'll come on the show and I'll talk about something new that I learned about. But I don't know if I'm really um, perpetuating other people to try it or whether I'm just coming back and letting people know. Um, after a, a while. Um, so I just, you know, I picked this song, uh, Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, and that's from Joe Cocker's 1996 album. So I think that's a remake of it, but he, that was uh, Joe Cocker's 1996 uh, recording. So I'll, um, we'll revisit that song a little bit later in the show. So I am a, a mentorship um, student with Susan Weed, and yesterday Susan had a, a private Zoom session with a number of us, and um, it's about 30 minutes. It's on Zoom, so we just use the free time that Zoom offers, and um, we hold space with each other, and we bring our questions to Susan. We bring our questions to each other. I um, just wanted a break from work, so I set an appointment and, and dialed into the Zoom session, and um just basically listened. I really didn't have anything to like push into the conversation. I was just listening. And um, Susan, uh, one of the takeaways that I got was uh, Susan said she has a gym buddy and they go to the gym once a week and they stay for an entire hour and they do a one hour workout. And she described, you know, it's like 20 minutes of a little circuit and then 10 minutes of maybe um, a treadmill or 20 minutes of a bike. I don't know. But I thought it was really cool because it gave me uh, inspiration because there was a new gym um, that opened up near my home. And 
I, like everyone else, I'll um, join the gym and I'll go for two or three months and then I lose heart. So I think, um, yeah, if I joined a gym and just made it a goal to do a one hour solid session once per week, and then um, I often uh, will go, go in a second time just to do some treadmill and uh, listen to some headphones. So that um, gave me some, a little bit of a push that, yeah, I haven't been a member of a gym for a couple years. So yeah, maybe I'll go back and try it out. A lot of these gyms are a ripoff though. They really lock you in. So I try to find a gym where they just charge by the month. And then if you, if you need to quit, they don't uh, penalize you <laughs> 50, a hundred plus dollars, you know, but, um, another thing that was uh, brought up, uh, one of the other mentorship students brought up that they were having trouble with pimply skin. And Susan put me on the spot. She was like, what do you use, Sean? And I was like, well, I don't know. Lately, um, for the past few years, I discovered yarrow tincture that I can make myself with contraproof vodka. And I put that in the spray bottle and I seem to use it on everything. I, I'm always getting bit by bugs and things. So I'm always pulling out that yarrow tincture. It seems to be really all purpose. But um, I've had trouble with pimply skin in the past, and I probably could have added a little bit more than just saying, oh, I use yarrow tincture on everything. And I found that um, with pimply skin, I had tough pimply skin until I was well into my 30s. And um, um, I turned 50 last year. So <laughs> I'm about to turn 51 this month. And it's, it's a good age. I really like 50. Um, but anyway, let's get back. To, I I'm going on a tangent about how old I am, but I experienced pimply skin, and sometimes it was painful. And I, the number one thing that really helped me relieve it is being really careful with any products that I'm using. And, um, okay, you know, I will use soap occasionally, but yeah, I have to be so uh, careful to make sure all the soap that I put on my skin is washed off because I'm just a very sensitive person to that type of thing. Uh, I bet a lot of people are very sensitive. And um, I, the other thing that I've noticed is just staying away from fragrances and um, chemicals. And um, I started using a fragrance-free laundry detergent, and that seems to – I don't get rashes anymore from sleeping on a sheet or anything. So – I don't know, pimply, rashy, swollen skin. Um, those are my two other things that I wasn't able to really bring up in the conference yesterday. And maybe that was helpful to the person who brought it. And perhaps next month when we're in the session, I'll apologize or whatever, or make it right and say, hey, I had two other things that help with my pimply problem skin. And it's uh, washing any products that I may use off and trying not to use products, period. Um, the fragrances that are in products are just really, really awful. And um, where I'm going back to my appeal of novelty where I used to really be drawn to, oh, that's a brand new smell. Let me, let me incorporate that into my life. And I'll tell you for the past uh, 10 years or so, I've been like in, in, re unincorporating things out of my life. You know, these extra fragrances, extra chemicals, just trying to, and every year, uh, at New Year's Eve, I have like one New Year's resolution. I'm like, I'd like to try to use less plastic and, um, you know, and just make my life a little bit less plastic, a little bit more uh, natural fiber and um, renewable, compostable um, type of things in my life. But plastic is a gift and it's uh, wonderful to have. And I'm sure a lot of foodborne illnesses are prevented from our modern use of pl plastic. But, um, 
So it's not something I'm completely against, but boy, I'd really like to use a lot less plastic. Um, I've been studying uh, cannabis terpenes, and oh my goodness, they're uh, really delicious. Cannabis is loaded with these terpenes, and it's one of the chemical constituents of plants, and it, it gives you the, the real aromatics of the plant. I was looking at the other types of constituents. There's like phenols and amides and alkaloids. and um, But these terpenes um, can eat into plastic. And um, if you're using any kind of like silicone cases to store your cannabis, you can really like burn the silicone. And it's, a, it's amazing how these plants, especially aromatic plants, are, are volatile and they can eat into plastic. So perhaps that's some useful information you can use and, um, you know, encourage you, give you motivation to use a lot more glass, a lot more just plain brown paper when storing um, aromatic herbs, especially. Um, I, I have some of these food saver plastic things and I, I kind of am creeped out now that I've, I'm understanding that some plants have... Um, chemicals that can eat into plastic and leach into plastic. So it's something uh, I'm learning, you know, that I would like to use less plastic. So um, so getting back to like fragrances, there is a movie on Netflix that I've seen in the past month called Stink. And I tell you, it, um, it was, it's a movie um, about a single father whose wife died and she had breast cancer, and he was, like, going through all her stuff and seeing all these, like, fragrances built in. And it's a wonderful story that he tells. And he doesn't blame his wife's uh, illness and death on um, the fragrances, but he does a little bit of an investigation because um, – so I really encourage you to see that movie. Um, I don't really like a lot of those activist movies. There's a lot of snark and kind of just um, self-righteous um, – attitudes in a lot of especially the vegetarian movies about like don't you know this and I really did not know that fragrances and like the 8,000 different chemicals that they use in modern products are so highly unregulated and we really don't um, there's very little correlation causation proved and um and one of the real big ideas that I took from the movie was um, the European Union um, has banned about 1,200 different chemicals. And um, then they compared it to the number of fragrances and chemical things that the United States has banned. And it's like less than 10. So it just goes to show you how, like, how much power they have in influencing and blocking any kind of regulation or um, labeling of what is in our child our child's uh, fire retardant pajamas and um so i encourage you to see the movie it's called stink and it's on netflix and um so i have a lot of different things uh, planned i don't know um i was thinking about gardening today i've shut down my garden and i just like let the perennials go i still have some nettle growing and some um amaki nettle and I have some nightshades that are still going, but I've just let my garden go to um, sleep for the winter. And I, I enjoy just reading and geeking out about gardening all winter long and um, maybe planning, oh, what would I like to grow next year? And um, 
The two plants I really want to like to get started and get, get them just self-perpetuating in my garden is are tomatillos and purslane. So I'm really attracted to um, just starting a garden and letting it go, you know, and not having so much work. So I'm a very lazy gardener. But, but during the winter, so the most work that I do in my garden is uh, just building my compost piles. And that seems to be so satisfying. Like I started with some commercial compost that was locally made in my area. And then I've just been adding my um, leftovers from making infusions. And I missed making an infusion today. I, I started making a comfrey. But I have all these different dried herbs and I'm straining out um, almost every day. And I'm just adding them to my compost. And uh, Susan Weed actually taught me the kind of the compost system that I like. And it, it's like sort of an 18-month compost where, um, you know, I'll add I'll, – I expect to be able to use my compost after about 18 months, a, a good solid year and a half. And um, Susan showed it to me, and it's, it's very simple. It's just making three piles. And, um, you know, she, she cleans out her barns and does her things about every six months. So, Every six months, the, the compost piles, um, they get uh, turned a little bit, but not too much, just a little bit turned every six months, and they build um, sort of a, a water trench in the middle of the pile, and then they keep the pile about three or four feet high, and on a previous show, I was talking about, like, what's the secret to compost? Yeah, you want a really high compost because it's also the pressure of a high pile that uh, creates really good compost, in my opinion. Um, I've been around, I've taken some real cool organic gardening classes in the past, and um, I've seen plenty of compost. And um, I like the 18-month compost and not this um, work-intensive, oh, you need to keep tumbling it and, and adding amendments and this and that. I was uh, looking at an old... Um, article from High Times Magazine, I think it was like the 1980s, and it was like how to, how to grow a 10-pound plant, and they used this um, enzyme that helps digest the manure very quickly called A35 by Nitron Industries, and I Googled it, and I was like, oh, this article's from the 80s, and they still use this, this product, so there I am again with um, novelty that, oh, um, it's not good enough to let my manure compost for 18 months. I need to find some product called Nitron A35 enzyme, you know, to water my compost with. But um, there's a, there is a very popular um, sort of um, probiotic, um, and it's a blend of essential microorganisms, and it's called EM1. And you use like a tablespoon of this EM1, and you, and you put a little bit of sugar in in the water, and you just brew it. And there's a ratio of the um, essential microorganisms, and you can water your compost with it. And so I brewed up, um, I don't know, it was maybe three or four gallons of it, and uh, let it cook with, I think I used um, caro corn syrup as like my starter. But the, the product was EM1, and it, they actually are making it in many locations. It was only like um, two locations a number of years ago, like Canada and um, Japan. And now there's more like local people making their own version of EM1. So it's like a ratio of microorganisms and you can actually make, make a brew from a brew sort of like yogurt. But eventually, you know, you go back to just the, the bottle of stuff and 
I think it comes in pretty small bottles. You could buy a four ounce bottle, and I'm I'm sure that's more than enough for like one family for a long, long time. So, I guess I could have done more research about EM1 to bring you that um, news, but that's something that I've been using on, on my compost. I really don't have a lot of high quality inputs. I don't have a, a barn of goats or. Um, <laughs> I'm just basically using my household waste at this point to um, build up my compost. But I'm going to probably gauge the size of my garden with my available amount of compost. Like, how big can my garden be? Well, how big can I get my compost pile and my compost system going? So that's um, my idea about organic no-till gardening is, um, yeah, it all starts with uh, how much access do you have compost? Okay, then that's how... That's how big my garden can be. So I'm, I'm learning and just trying to gauge um, how many plants do I want to grow. I want to grow lots of plants. And um, I'm in a, I moved to a state that has um, medical marijuana, and I'm learning all about these rules. And I, I don't know if I should get my own medical license or become a caregiver or what, but I've been learning a little bit more about that. And um, high CBD uh, marijuana is just amazing. And I heard about it for a number of years, and I recently was given um, a bottle of tincture. And I think it was just made by a traditional herbalist. It, it hasn't been tested, but I suppose they um, tested it by just using it. And so it's like a one-ounce bottle, and I use it basically just to keep my mood uh, even. And, and I tend to suffer a little bit from overexcitement in the evening time, especially if I didn't get enough... Um, exercise during that day. I need a lot of physical exercise or else I'll get like this nervous energy in the evening. But um, I've used other herbs like motherwort for that. And I use rhodiola, rosea, um, usually a little bit in the morning and then a little bit in the after afternoon. And those um, two herbs are really helpful. But I did use CBD oil as sort of a first aid treatment because I was feeling a little bit of anxiousness over excitement, you know. And um, I can't believe it's like two drops. And I'm like, this one-ounce bottle, if I keep using it maybe two drops at a time the way I need it, it's like I'm sure the, the, ru the rubber uh, eyedropper is going to disintegrate before I actually finish the, finish the medicine. So it is amazing that um, I'm, I'm pretty sure since I'm in a state that has medical that this is not pure CBD. It's just a high CBD um, um version of uh, regular cannabis, which probably contains more than 1% THC. I've not noticed it makes me high or anything, but there will be, you know, to be continued, you know, more will be revealed. And I'm sharing a little bit of my new um, appeal of novelty, the housefly. Hopefully it's not going to start buzzing in my microphone. But my appeal of novelty, I've been using... Um, Two other things this year, and one is a lion's mane mushroom, and I've been using just a powdered um, extract of it, and I tell you, it really improves my overall like mental clarity and just overall energy. It makes me makes me feel good, especially just mentally, you know. And um, I would say, sort of, for my mental tonic herbs, I'm going to put lion's mane right up there with Saint Saint Jones wort, you know, Hypericum perforatum, and um, I've been thinking about hypericum, hypericum perforatum and how it's um, 
it's so available during the month of June, and perhaps I'll be able to travel to um, an area where there's a lot of it in June. So that is seems to be my summer plans, and I want to go to the International Herbal Symposium. That's held in Massachusetts, and perhaps I'll be able to go on some kind of wildcrafting trip where I can find a lot of Hypericum perforatum because I think it's a really good idea if you're making herbs that you use regularly to have um, you know one or two years of batch you know all made and um, I, I like to tincture my Hypericum perforatum for like a full year before I start using it and um, so perhaps this June I'll be able to visit Massachusetts and attend the IHS and um, get some more Hypericum perforatum, which is so much fun to be out in the beautiful June sun. And um, it's something that um, has always helped me during, you know, and I've been using it for about five or six years now. And um, I think the first time I had, I started using it was in 2014. So yeah, four years solid. And the Stuff that I started using in 2014, I collected in 2013. So I always wonder, though, about Hypericum perforatum or CBD and how I get a lot of benefit from using some of these herbs. And then other people, they try them and it, they don't do anything. And I'm like, maybe they didn't you know, use it right or maybe they didn't get, get the good stuff, the stuff that I have. And, it, it you know, the current, um, you know, sort of prohibition of, cannabis and CBD, it's still, even though 10 states have now straight up legalized the use of, you know, personal adult use of marijuana, and and um, it's still got a lot of prohibition. The post office is still seizing packages, and um, even people in medical states, if they're not complying with the exact rules, they're still getting in trouble, and um, that's why I'm doing a lot of research before I, like, put my put myself on the line, you know, for marijuana and um I've been having a lot of fun just geeking out about marijuana. I discovered a couple of really cool podcasts and um there are two characters that I actually have both met when I visited Amsterdam in two thousand six and two thousand seven. It's so much fun that I can remember two people from my trip who were there in two thousand six and two thousand seven and um one person's name is Adam Dunn. He moved um, to Amsterdam. He's an American. He moved to Amsterdam when he was like 19 or 20 years old. And he just like, I, I like it here. I don't want to get in trouble back in America for smoking pot. And he just stayed in Amsterdam for 20 years. He built a hemp company. and He built a cannabis seed company. And now he has a, a radio podcast show called the Adam Dunn show. And he has all these really wonderful people from the history of cannabis. And the one person that really stuck out to me was his name is Mel Frank. And he, he wrote a book about cannabis cultivation. And I think when I first grew my first pot plant to maturity and back in 1993, Mel Frank's book was what I used like, Oh, how do you do this? And, and that's all we, all we needed to know is uh, Mel Mel Frank and Ed Rosenthal, I think they co-authored the book. And um, he, so I want to um, let, let Mel talk about um, basic integrated pest management and how um, you don't have to go overboard, but 
oftentimes to prevent these problems, there's um, just real basic stuff. So he has, he has like a protocol of three things that he uses, and I suppose he, he's living in California right now. So maybe um, the area of the country where you live, you may have to use a different strategy. But I thought um, someone like Mel Frank, who's been growing cannabis since like the 1970s and um, 50 years, you know, <laughs> how um, he uses three things on his plants, and one is a biological pest control, but I'm going to go ahead and play the play the um, clip of Mel Frank tank talking on the Adam Dunn show, and I will be back. I'm glad to take a break from talking myself. Also, uh, I mean, especially like the, the budworms, which are a plague out here, uh, sure. and getting people to uh, deal with those properly. Are those green ones? Are those green, green ones? Are those green No, the, 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 the budworms could be a, a number of colors. They yeah. can be green. They can be. They can have red cast to them. I've seen right. them pink. But it's all from the tobacco budworm moth. Huh. And uh, I've gotten so uh, close to these these budworm moths that I, I actually go out and pick the, pick the, uh, the eggs off. Uh-huh. I mean, I can spot them, like, from several feet away. Uh, but I also use BT uh, spray. It. I only use I only use a couple things, and I really have no have had no problem with uh, insects uh, outdoors now for for many years. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, I use BT for the budworms. Yeah. Uh, I use Tanglefoot, which is just a sticky substance that I put it uh, on the stem, right. and that that prevents uh, the ants from crawling up. Uh, because all those other things that you might find a, a couple of bugs, like uh, let's say mealybugs uh-huh. or scale yeah. uh, or aphids, aphids you got to watch. But uh, the ants are really your problem because they start spreading it all over the plant and to other plants and everything else. Yeah. They start to farm them. Yeah. So you want to prevent those. And the other one is, uh, you know, I might use some diatomaceous earth and, and just put it around the, the bottom, and that keeps uh, a lot of things from crawling up. Uh, and just that. And I try to tell people, I say, you know, you're out here and you're spraying all these goddamn poisons. What you're doing, you're poisoning all the beneficials that are keeping the populations down. Because when I look at my plants, I always see loads of uh, those little eggs uh, on a stalk, right, which are from uh, your, uh, what do you call those? Uh, uh, God, uh, name escapes me at the moment. But it, it, those eggs hatch into a larva that, that's uh, voracious, are they lace, uh, are they lace the, wings? That's what they are, the lace green lace wings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They're wonderful, and I find those eggs all over my, my plants. Uh-huh. Uh, and really, I mean, uh, I, I just don't have those problems. I really don't. Sure. I mean, if you can, if you can get a balance with them. The, the lace wings, I find them to, they, they, because when they turn into their, at the end, when they start, they go and start to eat the nectar, basically, right? And it's like kind of, it's like the, first they eat the, Aphids, and they go after once they've transferred or transformed into a actual lacewing from the pupa stage. Right. Then they go after the. Then they just go for the nectar, right? Yeah, the lacewings themselves, they don't they don't eat any bugs. It's, it's the larva. The yeah, larva, the larva, exactly. Voracious. But that's yeah. what I. That, they don't eat everything. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the part that I was like kind of bummed because I was like when I they they definitely did the job, but then. They left a mess. <laughs> they leave such yeah, a well, mess. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not bringing uh, ladybugs and, and lacewings into my yard. It's just happened. I've never had a need to. They're just here. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and and that's what I try to tell people. They're here, the folks. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, why are you spraying all this poison, killing all those things that are going to help you? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful. That's a beautiful thing about working in greenhouses that you 
can learn you can establish those sort of uh colonies because that's the problem with indoors yes. indoors is like yeah you don't really want to leave you know the room you want to kind of sterilize it just to get it to the point where at least you know unless you unless it's like a half indoor half outdoor kind of combo where it's like something where you know unique situation but most of the time indoors it's like you do have to kind of draw the line oh yeah oh yeah that's it i got uh indoors i got uh uh, mites must have been about seven or eight years ago and i was actually happy because i wanted to get some good mite pictures (laughs) so i just let them go until they had webs at the top of the plant and everything else but i got all all the great pictures i wanted to but of course i bombed the the room after that Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, and, indoors there's a whole other can of worms because you don't have any any help unless you're bringing in your beneficials. Yeah. So I mean, you really have to stay on top of it because, you know, the, all these these insects that that are your problem. I mean, like your your mites and your your aphids and, mm-hmm. and your gnats and all those things, is that they they produce in gazillions. Mm. So if you're not on top of it right away, all of a sudden you're really in trouble. Sure. Like what? Uh, and uh, I mean, obviously. Uh, russet mites and and broad mites and stuff like oh. that. I mean, you've you've yeah. uh, you guys because those things are really scary when you see them. Like just because they're so yep. weird and they they're definitely got a single job. You know what I mean? Which is to, to yep. completely fuck your shit up, basically. Which is well, like, that's that's one of the one of the benefits of of growing with uh, seeds is that you don't have that problem. I mean, the clones and and the way. Uh, you know, growers and I see them in you know people who have big grows who are pretty cavalier about how they handle a new clone coming in. Yeah. You know where they should have it completely isolated for a couple of months at least uh, to make sure it's completely clean. You saw uh, that, like you said, the broad mites. Are, oh God, yeah. You saw that photo. I'm not sure who took the photo, but there's a photo of um, of a white fly carrying or a gnat. I'm not sure if it was a white fly or a gnat carrying. A bunch of mites on his legs as it falls. Yeah, I have seen I have seen photos of uh, uh, spider mites yeah. with uh, like little broad mites. Uh, I think they were broad mites on it. But yeah, then uh, you start to see the scale. Yeah, you know, how, how tiny they are. Just the fact are. that you got mites on mites. Oh, yeah. when your mites yeah. have mites, you know you're <laughs> in trouble. Like at that point, you are right. in some serious trouble. Um, yeah, I mean IPM is the way. I mean, that's what we we promote the most on the show. Is just like in, you know. Uh, organic integrated right. pest management, and if you can stay on, th- on the front end of that, you know it's always terrible when you when you can't. But at a certain point, there is moments when you have to uh, bite the bullet. You can't yep. you, you can't use BT here in Colorado, for instance. There are certain states they're they're not letting you. What? Use no. That's crazy. I know, right? It's like you're like it's been used since 1940. I know, right? It doesn't hurt anything except for caterpillars. I know. Uh, I I don't understand that at I mean, all. You can use it. You can that's use it not, at home. I thought it was accepted completely as an organic. Uh, no. Uh, I think uh, I think Oregon. I think Oregon is the ones who messed that all up because their their pesticide laws were so strict, and then other people follow their laws, and then kind of. It's, they seem, but it's a biological. I know it's a bacterium. I know, and, then, know? and it shouldn't definitely should not have fallen. But it, and now it's crazy because they're like failed for spinozod. You're like what? Guys, come on! This, this is nothing to worry about. And then, so in a way, go ahead. No, yeah. It, it, I mean, in a way, it's partially because they know that without certain those certain little weapons like that, that it can cripple you. You know, what I mean, it's, for them, it's great. They love to see 
another crop taken down by caterpillars or whatever, you know, and you're like, oh, my God. Um, well, I'll tell you, I, I couldn't, uh, I would have a real hell of a time growing here without BT. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd have to be out there every single day going over every plant to picking off the uh, uh, the eggs. You know, I, I, I went to Santa Rosa to visit this uh, uh, master grower who I've known since the 70s, a really excellent grower. And he was an indoor grower. He actually did do a little greenhouse there also. But uh, the last time I went up there, he had a couple of plants just outside. Uh-huh. And, you know, they look great. I mean, he's a really good grower, so they look great. And I asked him, you know, if he was spraying BT. He said, no, no, no. He says, I don't think I need any of that. I said, I, I think you should. He said, no, I'll be fine. Called me up like two weeks later and said, yep. He said, I, I dumped both plants. He said, it were completely, he said, all the buds started to go. Yeah. He said, completely. Yeah. He said, just an absolute disaster. I didn't even want to deal with it. Well, the worst part is. And that's that, what I mean, it would be here. Yeah, the worst part is, like, you know, everywhere that they shit is, like, there's problems in those spots. And you start to yeah. see it. And once you, ah, I mean, yeah, and, and, and it is, like, I would go in in the mornings and shake all the plants. And there's times when you'd see, like, ten of them fall off. You know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, yeah. my God. And then you hit him with a BT, and then boom, it's like, yeah, it's amazing stuff. Well, the horrible thing about it, too, is that usually you never know it until you're just about ready to harvest, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you start to see your buds rotting out, you yeah. know, uh, after you've done a whole season's work. Right. It's really terrible. Yeah. So that was Mel Frank uh, speaking to Adam Dunn on the Adam Dunn Show, and I just wanted to bring that onto the show um if you're considering growing cannabis outdoors but perhaps um look into the product um bt spray it's a biological and um seems to be very helpful for outdoor people um i like the example that he brought that you know someone that he regards as a master grower was trying a little bit of outdoors and they got their stuff destroyed and um I kind of have the philosophy that, yeah, if you can have a big enough garden, you can just like let the pests have a, a portion of it. And <laughs> But perhaps uh, something like caterpillars can take everything. And um, so it may be uh, good to, whoa, my, my chair is kind of squeaky. Sorry about that. <laughs> so we had a caller. I'm hoping that the caller would call back if they want to participate in the show and help me produce it. Um, we have plenty of time. I, I booked two hours on blog talk radio tonight and I'm looking forward to people helping me to produce this show. Uh, you're welcome to send me any uh, emails with any clips you want me to play on the show. Uh, the address is people's medicine show at gmail.com. I'm not that good with um, answering emails really quickly, but you'll hear back from me. If you send me an email, people's medicine show, at gmail.com. Uh, so my name's Sean. I'm an herbalist. I'm just a student herbalist. I'm, I don't really think I'm an expert, and I'm still in. in I'm, I think my strengths are I am curious, and um, I'm always on the lookout for new information. I, I on another podcast called the Hash Church. They have a forum of four or five, six people every Sunday morning, and they smoke cannabis and have a Pretty intelligent discussions, and I would um, encourage you to check it out. I think it's available on YouTube, uh, the Hash Church, and uh, you can find people. It, it's uh, pretty cool, and 
So I wanted to, um, so Mel actually was on that show and he was mentioning how he doesn't really smoke marijuana that much anymore. He vaporizes most of it and he has extreme lung problems and, um, but he was, um, having to test, (laughs) test, test the stuff that he was growing. And, um, so he was smoking a little bit, but the host brought up some anecdotal information. His name is Marcus, the bubble man is the host of the hash church. And he brought up, uh, some anecdotes about vaporizing lavender and um i'm pretty sure you'll um enjoy this i think it's another this is a six minute clip and uh marcus uh you'll you'll hear that he um had a vaporizer lounge in downtown vancouver in 2003 so vaporizing herbs has been a thing for probably more than 20 years and um, there's a whole history of it. There's, um, I think his name is Eagle Sam, and he was a promoter in, of vaporizing herbs. And but um, he, the host Marcus uh, told Mel that he was having um, that he should investigate vaporizing lavender. And um, it, he, he has an anecdotal you know, reports of like just chronic bronchitis being just like cured from, and I'm not sure if you have to vaporize it more than once. (laughs) And then I got some more information about vaporizing lavender that it will indeed stink up your vaporizing equipment. So (laughs) I guess that is the thing probably what prevents people from trying vaporizing lavender. And I'm in no hurry to buy a vaporizing uh, machine and have it um, smell like lavender for like ever, <laughs> but it's something that may um, gain popularity as more people try it and more people look into it. So I wanted to play this uh, this clip about vaporizing lavender and a little bit of conversation around around it that um and introduction of who Marcus, the host of Hash Church, is. Yeah. Hemp, hemp generally has uh, up to about 3% CBD. That's pretty high for hemp. Uh, usually it's, it's, it's one to two range. Uh, so people, when they were smoking hemp, and people used to smoke that ditch weed all the time in the Midwest, you know, they smoked to the point where they got a headache uh, because they were looking to get high, and there wasn't enough THC in there to counteract the, the CBD. But, you know, I've had people smoke the CBD and, and just tell me that uh, they just feel good. They say, I just feel good. I feel relaxed. I, I feel nice. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't really smoke uh, joints anymore. I haven't been able to smoke joints for a while. And I have uh, some lung problems. But uh, I'd certainly like to try to do it myself. I did, I did uh, break my, my little non-smoking joints, uh, not smoking joints uh, on Friday because we had to do all that test after that was that was really fun for me. Have you ever tried vaporizing lavender, Mel? No. No. I, I, it is the most antiseptic lung healing thing I have ever discovered in my life. And in fact, a friend who was suffering from like a bronchitis for, it was a chronic bronchitis. He had it for 10 years. I started uh, turning him on to this French lavender and he was vaporizing it through his volcano, and it literally uh, just dissipated his bronchitis that he had for, for 10 years. It's, uh, 
anyone that doesn't even have a lung issue can vaporize a little bit of lavender and you, it just feels the oil the the plant matter i just take uh you know french lavender is generally in the lavender scene known as uh some of the most aromatic and terpene rich for whatever reason the french uh they've got the good soil and they grow the proper profile uh, it's it's one of the more popular in the aromatherapy world but uh yeah just i wouldn't personally vaporize the pure oil it might be a little too much but uh the vaporization of lavender is incredibly healing on the lungs and Lavender was actually discovered by a French chemist who kind of started the whole aromatherapy thing when he burned his hand very badly and dipped it into a, a, a giant uh, extraction bowl of lavandula oil that he had. And he found that he, he didn't get a blister and he didn't, the, the burn was basically uh, very non-effective due to the lavender and how healing it is on skin. So it was through that that I kind of thought when I had my vapor bar in the early 2000s, uh, you know, as we were experimenting with vaporizing different plants. Is it a lavender leaf or are you drying it first? It was dried lavender. We purchased all dried herbs from a, a, a store that was a couple of doors down. And uh, I ended up growing my own and drying my own and vaporizing it. And it just every time felt so good. The only thing is that, of course, any vaporizer you vaporize lavender through will, will take on the, the very strong smell and taste of lavender, so you won't really be able to enjoy the flavor profile of, of cannabis that you enjoy, you know, if you only have one vaporizer and that's what you use right. to inhale your, your vapor, uh, you, you need to uh, figure out getting a secondary unit, but I would honestly say check that out. It just feels so good. On my friend, uh, when back when we were in, uh, doing Cantor back in 93-94, we were at a, an event where we literally camped out overnight. And my friends love coffee. I don't drink coffee. But he had one of those campfire espresso machines, the old metal ones. They're very heavy. And he put it on. And as he was leaning over it, it exploded. And half his face was covered in coffee grounds, scalding hot coffee grounds. Immediately wash off his face. Happened to be right next to us was an oil vendor, and she says, come here immediately. And she took pure lavender oil and smeared it completely over his complete burned face. Yeah. And I swear, if I hadn't seen it myself, there's two spots on his face now where he has scars, and those are the only two tiny spots where oil did not hit his face. And no, it's so, not a real deal. Yeah, I, it, it opened my eyes immediately to the healing power of lavender firsthand because there's no way from the burn that I saw on his face that his face shouldn't have been just scarred, and he has nothing but two tiny scars to this day. Well, it, it feels very antiseptic when you inhale it in a sense, like almost like a eucalyptus, but not as sharp and as like, you know, someone with a lung ailment taking a big vapor rip of eucalyptus, that's not a good idea. But the lavender's different. It's really soothing and like just the way it is on burns, basically. I mean, your lungs are just, uh, you know, delicate, delicate. They need some help too. I just thought like all the things we breathe into our lungs and very little do we ever work on, you know, breathing in. And for me, I discovered all of this kind of accidentally when I started the melting point back in 2003, my gallery in Vancouver. I kind of wanted to just first, I didn't want a standard head shop. I thought that cannabis inspired people deserve better than that 
same old sort of sort of rock shop kind of idea. And the you know I what I did was I started the first vapor lounge in Vancouver. There we had no vapor lounges before I started my vapor lounge, and I basically knew I could get around the smoking aspect because we weren't creating the supposed cancer-causing agents that are produced in the smoking of anything versus the the vaporizing. So I had Aromed from Germany. I had the Volatizer wand unit from David Wheeler. I had uh, the Volcano from uh, Stores and Bickle. Uh, and, and about six other varieties along this inhalation station of vaporization. And because so few people had licenses back then, and it wasn't our job to search for licenses, we allowed people to come in and vaporize their cannabis. But, of course, we had a whole variety of herbs that we had to learn about to, to show people that weren't there to vaporize cannabis. And I swear we sold many a volcano back in that time to people who were buying them literally to inhale like teas and different uh, herbs. It was, it was quite a neat thing. Yeah, so that was uh, Marcus from the Hash Church um, podcast or whatever YouTube show that um, they do it live on Sunday mornings. And um, it was really, really sort of a deja vu of finding that show because I, I remembered I went to the High Times Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam in 2006 and I loved it so much that I wanted to go, I wanted to go back and I went to another one shortly afterwards and the, all the people that I met at the first one in Amsterdam weren't at the second one but this dude Marcus who sells these products called the bubble bags and they're um uh, nylon strainer bags that um, are different grades, different micron sizes, and uh, they help people make what's called bubble hash, and that's uh, putting uh, fresh cannabis or dried cannabis into uh, ice water and stirring it gently, and then just straining off all the glands. And I thought it was a lot of fun that I met Marcus again in Jamaica, and he was running around teaching all the native Jamaicans how to use his products. And uh, it, it's kind of fun that, you know, there's a lot of hashish now in Jamaica. And I don't know if uh, Marcus is a bit, uh, partly responsible for helping people learn how to make really, really good hashish. So <laughs> there's a lot more that I've been uh, just really geeking out um, on some of these cannabis shows. And so those two of the shows that I really love are the, the Adam Dunn show and now the hash church, but, um, hash church is really cool that, um, it has a lot of different, um, people. And I, I thought it was fun that they have, um, just a whole forum of people that are making a living in the cannabis world. And they were asked about careers in cannabis, cannabis, and they all just gave their little um, speech. So I wanted to play that. And that's another pretty long clip that's almost 12 minutes long. But they, it goes into CBDs and how this thing, the more people find out about it, the more it's just – it's amazing that it was just a secret. And then like five, six, seven years ago, it was sort of rediscovered that, wow. And then um, basically the whole – attitude towards marijuana and legalizing it, you know, across the board has changed. And it has a lot to do with CBD and how it's able to help people who are not being helped by regular pharmaceutical um, avenues. And 
it really is kind of cool that there's an herbal medicine that's taking over where drugs were once the king. And so I imagine there are many, many political forces that do not want cannabis legalized across the board, but I'm not aware of the ins and outs and the shadow governments and the and the dark forces, but you can basically just listen and pay attention and you'll see that people do have a financial interest in um, demonizing cannabis. And um, my later um, um, clip that I'm going to play will talk about some of the strategies that we can, we can um, put out and um, to help um, the real scientific medical community uh, help them incorporate cannabis products into their own practice and being able to have the safety to be able to, um, you know, a person that only goes to an MD who asks the MD, you know, I'm having this problem and I heard cannabis is good. It'll be great when there's um, uh, a time and place when, you know, the doctors will have a pretty good idea of like, okay, why don't you start there, you know, with this kind of profile. I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so I want to play first the, the long clip about careers in cannabinoids and how CBDs are really going to infiltrate a lot more than what people are really understanding that this is going to enter our food system. So if you're interested in getting a career in cannabis, some, here's some good ideas, and um, I'm going to play the play the clip from the Hash Church. It's just like, man, this is. This is exciting. I love I love working with cannabis, and I think uh, I think it's one of the reasons we're all very lucky to be involved in this industry. And one of the things people ask me often is, how can I get involved in this industry? And how do you answer that? I mean, just get involved. I mean, do you guys have good advice for that? Because I always am like, I'm always like, follow your passion, blah blah blah. I don't really know what to say in regards to how do you get into the industry because. All I do is just start growing wheat. Grow your own. Well, grow your own. own. Get to know the plant. But, you know, don't get arrested. Don't get arrested. Don't Don't get get a felony. Don't get a felony more than anything else is most important. Uh, Put together a resume, you know, Uh, go down to find these distributors, find these people, volunteer. Uh, That's I got I got involved in this because Cannabis Action Network was an all volunteer organization, and I just started showing up and giving my time. And my time on the phone calling people uh, was very boring initially, but that led to me then being on the street corner, then being on the street corner, then allowed me to then be on rock and roll tours, and then out doing hemp tour. And next thing you know, I get hired by a company who's like, "Hey, you've been out on the road, and you know what you're doing, and you know about this plant hemp, so." come work for me and then couldn't do that anymore. And then came back to California and have been involved in medical cannabis ever since. So it just takes the chance, be honest with yourself, take the chances. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but if you really love and care about it, you'll find a way to plug in. But I mean, there's lots of organizations in the United States. There's, there's college 
um, every co uh, there's college campuses that have organizations. If there's not one, you can get in contact with MPPs, SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, MAPS. They'll all help you set up chapters on your university so you can find other like-minded people. And that's what we did where we uh, would go around then to free speech areas on college campuses in the United States. I've been through 47 states doing this. I know I've done it firsthand. And I wasn't paid for it. I volunteered my time, but they paid our money, uh, our, our food and our travel and everything else. So it's one of those realities that you just have to sometimes take the, the chance and, and get out there. And there are companies hiring all throughout California. Even the Bureau of Cannabis Control is hiring, needs to hire a thousand people. They need inspectors. They need people to go out, you know, and, and, and look and, and regionally. So there's all areas around the, the state that they're going to need regional coordinators. So, of course, those may have some sort of educational requirements, but there's different ways that you can plug in. I'm only giving California as an example because that's the example that I have currently and that I've used. But <clears throat> Find people, get in there, be honest, be trustworthy, uh, be forthright, be honest, and anything can happen. I mean, you can end up just like one of us and be on the panel one day, you know? I would, for, I would, also, I would also say um, that learn about something that you're interested in because that knowledge is really powerful and that's how you get into a place you want to be. Um, so whatever your passion is, learn about it and then display that knowledge, go meet people in the industry, as everyone else has said, and just get out there because the more you learn, the more you'll be able, you're going to be able to help people or help yourself and you'll, you'll get where you want to be. Right. There's also regional, like National Cannabis Industry Association now has regional quarterly meetings in certain states and areas. So you can go down and meet people and rub elbows with local business owners, ask them questions, ask ways how, how you can plug in. But most importantly is, yes, if you want to get involved seriously, if you want to be a grower, then, you know, you can go to college and actually get, you know, degrees in botany and biology, as well as chemistry, as the doctor will tell you, because these are all things that we need. We need researchers. We need doctors. We have research enough to last for generations, right, docs? We have literally generations of, of just from hemp alone, I mean, high-grade cannabis, all that type of research needs to be done, as well as we need to set up a germplasm institute in North America, which we need stewards and growers and seed producers. And, you know, all those realities are still yet to you know, see the light of day, but those are realities that have to take place in time. So if you're watching, there's still ways for you to plug in and be part of that future and reality. I, uh, I liked, uh, I liked all those answers. I definitely, they kind of were unique because they were like each of your versions of kind of how you went about doing what you had to do to get into this industry. But I, I have to say Wade's was my favorite. Like, grow cannabis, grow it, get to know it. It's like, really, that is like so simple and yet so completely accurate. Of course, grow cannabis. Now, attached to Mark. Guys who worked in the non-cannabis industry, right, for years, and it was kind of boring. Like you said, Mark, you walk into a plant, and if you're making sneakers or you're making rubber for the end of the sneaker, whatever your, your, your plant's making, it's not as exciting as making you know, hash or medicine for people and, you know, around the plant we love. And so I was just lucky and fortunate to intersect 
my passion with what I can do for a living. And that's always a wonderful thing to be able to put those two things together. It's like a constructive interference pattern that where you get a greater superposition and you'll be farther along than you would be if you did any one of those things individually, but together those things push you to places that you may never have, have, have been. And in terms of failure, I mean, it's kind of like you'll learn. So the scientific method is like you want to probe something about some phenomenon. So you design a hypothesis and experiment to answer the question. And then you run the experiment, collect the data and come up with the conclusion. Well, you know, as a scientist who's run thousands of experiments that totally failed, that's how you learn and that's how you define the moment of invention because as soon as something doesn't fail, you know what failures look like because you've seen that like a hundred times. But as soon as you put something together, that totally is now, you know, something new. I mean, that's that aha moment that, you know, yeah, I've done something completely new that no one's ever done before. And so I think it, it's inspiring to have, you know, some type of, you know, educational background. So what you bring to the table is scientifically grounded and then launching yourself into this new industry. I mean, I can imagine going into so many different careers and getting so many different educational experiences, whether it's in botany or chemistry or business or nowadays, I mean, geez, just going to the uh, MJ BizCon, there's more engineering and manufacturing engineering or, you know, industrial engineering, what I'll call it, you know, packaging, automated packaging, automated dispensing. If it could be automated, it's coming to the cannabis industry. So there's just so many different um, areas where innovation is happening. And imagine what that cannabis show is going to look like 10 years from now, as opposed to, you know, where it is today. So it's just, it's amazing to think that this, we're at the dawn of a new industry that's going to plateau some time out in the future, but until it plateaus, we're on a steep learning curve where all kinds of new shit's happening all the time. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's what, I, I love that about the plan. Everybody was talking about how it's a fractal medicine and how it's adaptogenic, and it's becoming such a large industry right now that you can almost be involved in anything and almost have expertise in anything, and it somehow is going to bring itself back to the cannabis industry and I think that it's sort of funny, you know, like talking about, you know, how do you get yourself involved in the cannabis industry? You know that you're involved in the right place if every single conversation that you have with the people surrounding you ends up in cannabis. I mean, you can start in nuclear waste and it ends up in cannabis. You can talk about the problems of the world and it ends up in cannabis. And I think that, that is really funny. I think you, gotta, you, got, you have to have a, a passion. So if you have a passion, you know, then you're going to find a way into anything because every, everything is really pretty competitive. If you think about just all any field is and because there's a lot of humans on the earth. But uh, so and I also think that with all the manufacturing and engineering and all the farmers and farming that's going on, I think that making products is is a really huge you know area that we, you know what to do with all this material so i mean i think the innovation of being able to even put it in food i, I don't understand why all the 
edibles are, are mostly candy, you know, I mean, I, I would eat a CBD sandwich, you know, or CBD soup. I, I, I kind of want like the full CBD cafe where the lemonade has CBD in it and, and every damn thing in there is so, you know, it's just a full medicinal. That situation. sounds, that sounds like Skunkman Sam's nightmare. I'm not saying that I wouldn't want a THC cafe too. Let's no, put it that way. Listen, you I, have, I can see I, both I, sides I of the fence. Cannabinoid cafe. I'll have, I'll have a CBD sandwich with you, man. That's sweet. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and we'll throw CBG. It doesn't have to be. We're not. You know, we're not cannabinoidists. You know, we want as many cannabinoids in there as possible. I I truly think your vision's going to come true, but it's not going to be anything weird. It's going to be. CBD will be fortified into all foods, just like vitamin C is. It'll be fortified from baby cereals to geriatric formulations and everything in between. All foods will contain CBD 10 years from now. It'll just, just be Just like food. back in 1873. And, um, you know, when, when all of the hemp was fed to the animals and then the animals were producing, you know, high CBD eggs and then we were eating the eggs. So there, there was a... There was an intact cannabinoid system at one time that went through all the creatures and also cleaned the land. Like, you know, sometimes the, the, the weed, you know, accumulates the, the heavy metals. That means you can't use that that year, so you'd have to put it back into the land. So that was a little clip from the Hash Church 2.0, episode 13. So if you want to go and uh, listen to the whole three-hour episode, it's uh, – a really fun little Sunday morning forum show. So hash, that, the first clip I played was uh, from the Hash Church 56. So I want to try to give everyone um, credit and let the anyone listening that wants more information to go back in on listen to the whole show. It's a, it's fun to have these things playing in the car when we're not just um, and. Like I said, um, I I seem to be just geeking out, and um, I'm loving hearing all these old-time people that have been um, growing and um, advocating for cannabis for like 50 years, that there's this long history of people, and there's so many people that had to do jail time. And you get five years, you get 10 years, you get 15 years, you get five years, you get five years, you know, and... Oh man, I um often mourn that oh I spent a lot of my you know twenties and thirties drunk and alcoholic, but I don't know if I would have been able to resolve um having five or ten years of my life taken away because I was in trouble with cannabis and um I always just stayed away from anyone that was um using cannabis as their sole income. I always um noticed that people could grow and um, sell a little bit of cannabis, but make sure that your primary income was something else. You know, that uh, that's the one thing that I saw that people got in trouble when they tried to make cannabis their entire life and their 100% of their income is coming from growing, smoking, you know, um, selling cannabis in some way. And it's a shame that, you know, um, just a few years ago during um, the Bush administration, how they... Um, they extradited a Canadian who was sending uh, seeds to um, through the U.S. postal mail, and they incarcerated him for like five years. I think his name his name is Mark Emery, and you can read all about just one person after another just having their life taken away from them. 
And um, so I found another old-time wise man, you know, in the movement. And his name, he goes by Wolf Siegel. And Wolf, I think I'm playing, um, he appears a lot, two or three episodes with Wolf Siegel. I think his full name is Michael Siegel. And he... He he's a, he has a few podcasts that he did for a couple of years, and they're titled uh, "Farmer in the Sky." So you can go and listen to Wolf Siegel's compost um, podcast, not compost. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna play a clip from Wolf, and then uh, we'll move we'll move out of the cannabis topic eventually, and I'm gonna get back to uh, what I think is helpful for pimply skin at least something that I've been playing around with uh, and nurturing my appeal to novelty to try new things. And um, I think a lot of the things that I want to try, um, I, I listen carefully, you know, and I try to count the cost and try not to waste too much time and energy. Uh, I'm really attracted to things where I get results really quickly. And um, I'm hoping that everyone else has that same level of skepticism where um you know, you really want to trust your intu- intuitiveness when you're listening to people and, um, may, you know, being wise and um, not, not being influenced by, um, you know, the newest and, you know, newest and thing. You know, the, the, some of the newest things are wonderful. And I do believe technology will be the true revolution. I think that I will attribute that, that I learned that from Abby Hoffman. Uh, revolutionary who also had to go to jail for a number of years and um but technology will be the true revolution and uh, the market is a house divided against itself and these free market forces are at war with one another and um it is wild that now cannabis is in the free market and um so kinds of market forces that are helping it and there's all kinds of market forces that are hurting it and um so I do not really remember exactly what Wolf Siegel's talking about, but he's really interested in uh, light depth greenhouses, and uh, it's only a five minute clip. But I, I want to get in, get on to other topics. But uh, Wolf is a, seems to be a really important person. He popularized a method of growing cannabis uh, in a small area called the Sea of Green, and I don't think he invented it, but he learned about it. And I believe it was invented in the 70s in, uh, in Holland. But he, uh, he was an author of a magazine called Cincinnati Tips in the 1980s. And he's one of these people that had to do uh, a lot of jail time and um, had his life interrupted by the prohibition of cannabis. But he seems to be out of jail. He lives in Oregon and he's free and legal and probably pays his taxes and does everything above board nowadays. So... It's it's so much fun, though, to be able to be debriefed on what's been going on for the past 40 or 50 years and kind of form a coherent history of how um, the whole cannabis world has developed and evolved. And um, I believe overall improved every year. It just keeps getting better and bigger and more wonderful and um, so full of promise. So let's hear from Wolf Siegel and... Uh, you want to uh, comment, you're welcome to call the number. The call-in number is 646-929-2463. So I encourage anyone who wants to call or 
participate by email. Send me some clips that you want me to play for the show. So I'm going to play this clip from Wolf Siegel. I do not remember the exact um, <laughs> content, but he's really into lighting and technology and, um, you know, doing it, doing it the right way. So um, I'll um, play a little bit of Wolf Siegel. About whether or not legalization at any cost is accurate and worthwhile, and whether or not his statement that the only that that um, the only medical marijuana is is Charlotte's Web and Sativex. Which is this is coming from someone who's supposed to be knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, I mean, he's got a bigger audience than us. You know, and the thing is that I've always said to people, like when people, like when people would ask me, like, so what uh, strains that you have? Which ones are medical? And I'm like, they're all medical. What are you talking about? Like, it's just different things for different people. Some might work with this one. You know, that's the whole. That's the fun part about cannabis is finding your your matching strain there. You know what I mean? Because and it, and if it's from a medical point of view, I would say it's a fun part, but it's part of the learning curve of what you need. And the thing is, right. the main key is that. It's not about, it's never one strain, you know what I mean? You have that honeymoon effect with any strain, and then you're done, you know what I mean? Like, you can't say Charlotte's Web's going to solve all your problems, because it's not. It's not only going to solve one group's problems, and maybe not all of them, too, you know? Yeah. And it's all about well, diversity. Well, and, and, you know, even once you do find the strain, you have to hope that whoever had that strain next had actually that strain, not some other thing being called that name, then that it was grown the set the right way the same way that it was harvested this, you know yeah. me i want standardized protocols and marking on the packages with bar graphs with a perforation in the middle of them so that the end user can have that that part that he tore off walk into a shop and say hi i want some of this and get what it was they were after yeah and that's been, i mean there's literally because we're cottage industry style and everybody's been doing things from, you know, nobody, very very few people have been coming in from, like, a pharmaceutical angle, you know what I mean? They've been coming in yeah. from, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, produce what I can and I'm going to get it out to my patients and then I'm going to get some feedback and then I'm going to, you know, t you know hone it in. Well, and, it, so, and, it, and it takes so a while. Far, so far, three states, regulatory agencies, and 40 labs are on board with my idea of... Um, creating standardized protocols and uh, there's a system of data collection associated with it which will be prepaid postcards 20 questions you, you either circle or check uh, they come in there's a bar graph at the bottom that is the mirror image of the bar graph that the patient has they circle it they send it in when we've got 10 or 20,000 of them we're going to be able to figure out the clusters of profiles that seem to work for patients with particular conditions, eliminate what isn't there, and then take what we eliminated and try to figure out why, what the differences are for each of the profiles working for each of those patient groups. But until we have unified, standardized protocols, it's meaningless. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's the same with testing. It's kind of, kind of the same with the whole... Uh, cannabis industry is like getting everybody on the same page. Yeah. You know, having our testing becomes something of a standardized testing because, of course, um, you know, we're, people have the money now to put the put the testing equipment right in their space. But if there's no standardization, people won't do it. You know, I mean, no one's going to spend right. half a million dollars just to find out that they're nobody's taking their tests seriously. You know, what I mean, but if they could be like, okay, well, look, we're going to, you know, and that's like when we had the Sage guys on the Sage Analytics guys. It's just like even if it was. You know, if everybody just has the same exact equipment and it's all been tuned the same, we can all 
say, all right, that's a baseline, you know. But until that, until we could figure out how to do that, and it's hard because if somebody spent a ton of money on equipment, and then a year later that equipment is pretty much redundant, you know what I mean, and they're going to have to go and get something new, you're going to lose that guy. Also, best part, though, uh, about my lesson from the Sage Analytics episode, you did as well as the machine, man. It was damn, damn close. So I got this book that says even specifically that, uh, you know, for terps and things like that, that the nose, it's like a medical school textbook on aromatherapy. Yeah. And it says that your nose is as as or more accurate than laboratory tests for terpenes. So why can't your consciousness be as or more accurate a test for... Yeah, it's, I mean, well, but at the same time, we do want to have, everybody wants to see a... Some data, you know what I mean? Okay. It's all, it's all about sure. data. If it's legit, sure. sure. Where without that data do we go to Western medicine and say, here is quantifiable dose with repeatable effect, which without that, Western medicine won't call it a medicine. They'll call it a supplement. They'll call it herbal whatever, but they won't acknowledge it. And the only way we can find those entourages where they could even begin to figure it out and be able to go, okay, get this profile because this is what seems to be working for people who have that. Um, without that, it's not medicine in, in, the, in Western medicine. So that sort of um, uh, touched on some of the technology that's happening with medical cannabis, how we're collecting data at this point. There's more and more people that are using medical cannabis, and, and um, many times you'll hear people say, I had to try five or ten, ten different kinds of cannabis before I found, locked in what really helps me. See, I was really fortunate. I tried one um, bottle of CBD oil, and it seems to work really wonderfully. And um, I have no idea what the profile of it is. I believe it's high in um, a compound called THCA. And THCA um, exists, I believe, when the cannabis is harvested a little bit on the early side. So in a, it's less, um, you know, mood and mind-altering, you know, um, you know, where on the other side of the THC that makes people, quote, stoned or, you know, high. I've been learning a little bit more about another constituent called THCV. V is in Victor, THCV. And that occurs when there's, when the cannabis is grown under certain uh, spectrums of light, uh, mostly outdoors. And a place like Hawaii Actually, their marijuana is famous for being amazingly good and psychedelic and, you know, I guess you would quote, you know, I'm using the quote signs, hallucinogenic pot, you know, that really like, uh, everyone always remembers um, the movie Nine to Five when they smoked the Maui Wowie and they smoked this little tiny joint and they're like tripping on acid from um, smoking marijuana. But it is kind of fun that... Um, Many people that live in these medical states can go to their local um, outlet, you know, and pay, you know, bring a sample of the marijuana that they grow, and they can start collecting data like, okay, the, this marijuana that I'm using and I find very highly medicinal has this much THCA and this much THCV and this much CBD and this terpene profile. And that's what um, a lot of the hype right now is all about terpenes and I know a little bit about it, that um, terpenes are sort of destroyed when the cannabis is dried above 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So you need a cool uh, processing facility 
And I really like commercial processing <laughs> compared to a uh, home processing. I, I really like a lot of the herbs that I purchase. Um, moving a little bit off the cannabis topic, you know, and just like how do you purchase herbs? And I've um, been, again, I feel very fortunate. And the strategy that I use for purchasing herbs is to always have two places where I'm purchasing them from. And more often than not, I have a clear favorite, but I have two places. And it feels like I feel like a little bit less out on a limb, you know, it's so dependent on one um, um, supply, supplier of, you know, the medicinal herbs that I use. Right now, I'm using only one type of rhodiola rosea, and um, I still haven't really played around with more than one. So um, I'm looking forward to perhaps um, trying a different kind of rhodiola rosea. I don't live in an area where it grows naturally. Uh, it grows mostly in Canada and Russia and Siberia. And um, I don't live in that cold climate. I have a, f a friend I met a few months ago who lives in Maine, and she's growing her own rhodiola. So perhaps I'll be able to visit Maine and get some American-grown rhodiola rosea. But that's one of the strategies that I've been using for, um, you know, purchasing a lot of the herbs that I love and um, depend on and feel good about. And perhaps... Um, you know, there's a lot of different things where like, we're going back to things that are not clearly labeled. So um, perhaps my favorite type of herb is adulterated and um, it'll get pulled off the market <laughs> and I'll have to find something else that works the same. So I think that's the strategy that I'm using is, yeah, like perhaps um, switch around and, and um even if I'm growing my own nettle, maybe have my neighbor grow some nettle and we'll compare and um, use both. And um, I'm looking forward to growing um, more nettle next year. I'd also like to get my own oat straw. And the strategy that I have with oat straw is like, how am I going to dry it the really good way? And so I've been looking into all these different ways that say Frontier Herbs dries their oat straw. I think they do use uh, ultraviolet lights and I don't know if that's technically uh, um, yeah, irradiating herbs, but um, it doesn't appear to uh, ruin the nutrition of the herbs, but I'm not too sure. I'm still learning about it. I've also seen some of these commercial dried herbs that are packed with nitrogen, and that effectively removes all the extra oxygen, which um, um, that's sort of an enemy of uh, dried herbs. It's going to help the herbs degrade faster if there's a lot of oxygen around the herbs. So Susan Weed taught me the way she stores her herbs is just put them in um, a, ground, a brown grocery bag and that sort of controls the, if there's any excess humidity. And um, that seems to be a real popular method, that brown, that heavy brown grocery bag uh, paper seems to help um, when storing herbs. And, I, you know, two, three years, most of the time, uh, you can, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what growing my own oat straw will be like and to see if I can get several years put together. It's, it seems such an easy herb to grow. It's just like a quick monocrop. And I, I'm hoping that I'll be able to incorporate some of my home composting and I'm not going to just grow it with salt fertilizers, but... I will report back on um, my quest to grow my own oat straw.
Um, it seems so easy to grow, though, but I think the, the real strategy I'm going to have to formulate is how am I going to uh, dry it in a, in a high-quality way? And that's what may keep me from growing my own oat straw. If I really can't get uh, the drying and processing down um, in an easy way where <laughs> I don't have to spend, you know, a, it, you know, it could be a full-time job, you know, drying and um, processing herbs to make sure they're not moldy. And um, so I'm learning all about this stuff. I really love the whole do-it-yourself and, you know, and to have all the five infusion herbs, comfrey, oat straw, red clover, nettle, um, linden's an easy one, though. You just go out when the linden's in season and you can get yourself a laundry basket of linden flowers. Um, I still haven't really um, gone to 100% using all hand-picked linden, but um, it is fun to um, have some hand-picked linden and then use some of the commercial linden from Romania or Eastern Europe. I think that's most of, most of the commercial linden comes from but um, there are American suppliers of Linden. Um, yeah, I actually used Pacific Botanicals a number of years ago, and I think I just finished up uh, the end of my Pacific Botanicals uh, Linden. So I'd like to move on to some more uh, topics. Uh, I'm going to quit uh, looking at Facebook for like six months. I really enjoy looking at Facebook and Instagram, but it does seem to be a big time suck. And I've done this before where I just stopped looking at it for three or four months. And overall, my life sort of improves. Although it's really fun. I love, there's like 20, 30, 40 people that I really adore and I love seeing them. But um, overall, um, it seems like a big time suck. So my plan is to stop uh, looking at Facebook um, and be pretty kind of strict with myself. I'll, I'll, I post this show as an announcement on the on those times when I quit Facebook and I put it up as a public announcement. You're welcome to uh, follow me on Facebook. My name is spelled S-E-A-N-M-U-R-N-I-N. Sean Murning, S-E-A-N-M-U-R-N-I-N. So you're welcome to follow me on Facebook. I don't really um, friend anybody that I haven't met in person. or I don't know. I think I've friended a few people lately that send me messages and start a dialogue with me, but if you're just dropping on my page, a Facebook page, and doing a friend request, um, don't expect me to friend you back, because lately I'm just kind of just way overwhelmed by the whole online social media thing, and like I said, it is fun, it is entertaining, but it just gets to be too much. I was in a chat um, forum, we were doing this thing with another podcast I listened to, and we were doing a thing where I think there's 300 of us, and we all did just an anonymous secret Santa with all the other people who listened to the podcast. And I was like, oh, I got to get in on this, you know. And um, they, they give you a little questionnaire, and I was, you know, so I was in their little forum, you know, interacting a little bit instead of just being a passive listener. And um, they're going on and on. And then someone mentioned child stealing gypsies, and boy, did he get in trouble for referring to gypsies as child stealers. And historically, that is one of the businesses that Roma crime families engage in, that they buy, sell, uh, and steal fucking children. <laughs> and I, I was like, wow. So I guess 
you would have to refer to them as Roma crime families. And the word gypsy, just like as a blanket term, is very offensive. And, you know, I... I, you know, I was really feeling really so bad for the person because, yeah, that's what I was always raised with that, um, you know, that old joke that, oh, we'll sell you to the gypsies or, um, oh, we bought you off the gypsies, you know, that parents uh, fool around with their children and say, oh, you're, you're not from me. I bought you off the gypsies. And it was always a joke, you know, with my parents that they would laugh. And, but maybe we would, we were all traumatized. Terrible jokes and people are a little bit kinder. Their kids nowadays that they'd be so freaking offended. But as little as um, 2010, you know, I did a quick Google. I'm like, the gypsies steal children. Yeah, they there are gypsies that steal children and sell children and put them to work as beggars and so on and so on. And um, 2010 in um, the UK, there was a humongous crime family. I think it was like 300 different people that they indicted and they went back to Romania and a lot of them, you know, were not prosecuted. So a lot of the real like pro, um, you know, do not use, you know, the gypsy word is a derogatory racist statement. I felt so kind of like freaked out, but I guess I'll just refer to, you know, if I'm using that joke of gypsy stealing children, but, you know, I guess chi- uh, human and child trafficking is really, it's a, it's a reality. And then um, I was sort of tr- triggered again, you know, probably in the same week. I, it was just like one after another things of just triggering me. So that's my sign. I'm like, okay, I need to stop looking at Facebook for like six months and just get myself back to like a baseline of sanity. Because it gets really crazy looking at some of the things that come, come across my feed. So I've friended about 500 people, and that's why I'm kind of insistent. Like, don't friend me. Just follow me, and I'll, I'll post publicly if you're interested in listening to the show. <laughs> so I, I was really triggered last week when they were talking about these children that are in this caravan in Mexico and Central America and how um, they're being struck with tear gas and it brought back I was in a public demonstration in in Orlando Florida and this was in 1994 and um I there were police with mega horns saying this this is a riot condition please disperse uh you're on private property you know this is a crowd an unauthorized party and it was basically we're just having an outdoor raid, but it was on private property, and the property owners called the police, and the police were like, we're going to disperse this crowd of people that they don't want on the property. And um, so, it, yeah, at the time, I think I was in my mid-20s, and just um, I didn't really, I didn't have much to lose, and I just hung around, and so I want to see what happens. So when they start firing off tear gas, I saw Someone hold their baby, you know, thinking that they're not going to get hit with tear gas because they have a baby, but the baby got struck right in the skull with a tear gas canister, and there's blood all over the place. So this latest thing with the caravan and tear gassing babies really, like, brought back such so many dimensions of this thing, like, why would you put your baby in in harm's way and you're trying to make a point with another human being that doesn't have a choice? And, oh, 
I was just completely like freaked out. And then I was also like, do people realize that the people that are reposting this, that children are being tear gassed in Mexico? Um, do they know that this has been happening for decades? And did I think that maybe it, you know, that was a one-time thing that it, people don't go to demonstrations with children thinking that so there's just so many dimensions that I was filled with such unpleasantness. But, you know, I'm not for not knowing what's going on in the world. It's good to, you know, check in with um, current events and talk to people and have intelligent conversations with one another. I believe this global culture of being connected is overall helpful. There's a lot of messiness and unpleasantness of being online that's horrible and makes me want to run away and not look at it for six months. But I'm going to continue to um, engage with people using the messages services. But just looking at this random feed of news, no, I really can't, you know. And if there is somebody out there that wants me to know something, just directly message me. Because <laughs> I, um, I listen to one or two news shows a week. And I, I read a few things, and, you know, that's enough. I don't need to be constantly bombarded with how uh, horrible Donald Trump is and, you know, all the horror that people feel about Donald Trump. I've felt about George Bush and Obama. I really don't really feel more horror from our current president. Yeah, he's really ugly and horrible and <laughs> the worst example of an American. But, um... I don't know what's going on. I, I Like I said before, you know, these forces, they're a house divided against themselves. And more often than not, they're going to destroy each other before they destroy me. And um, I'm going to get out of their way while they destroy each other. And um, I don't know about having these harsh uh, political diatribes the way I once did, you know, when we were invading Iraq on uh, 15, 16 years ago, I, I was so filled with... Um, you know, I, this negativity that I see today in other people. So I think maybe it is just a rite of passage that um, younger people need to feel this rage and anger. And um, they need to nurture it and uh, celebrate their youthful energy and youthful anger. And I'm not going to get in, in people's ways. And um, if I'm able to argue with people or have really good, passionate conversations, yeah, let's go for it. But I don't know how much I can handle. I really don't know. So I just put myself on a zero diet of Facebook and Instagram, and I'll continue to um, post a picture here or there. I don't really try not to drop off the face of the earth, but just me personally, I need to take complete breaks away from it in order to feel happy about my life and I tell you, my life overall improves. So maybe after this next six months of not looking at Facebook, I'll just really don't put myself in this situation again where it gets too much looking at Facebook is, um, you know, this, again, I, I want novelty. I want newness. I want today's news. I want, you know, and I'm learning to put limits on myself. How much novelty do I actually want? Can I just take yesterday's novelty and work that? And let that prove itself out. So these are the things I'm playing around with. Um, there was something that earlier in the 
in the conversation that I didn't bring up that I that I've been playing with another thing this year that it's brand new and I'm just like I said I'm just letting it prove itself out and it's using castor oil on my skin so after I shave I use a little bit of it and someone in the in the uh, Zoom chat with Susan yesterday want to know you know what what may help me with my pimply skin <laughs> and I really think uh, castor oil is an amazing. Um, I'm not even familiar with how to use it internally in any way, but as externally, it really seems to um, keep aging skin really juicy, and it's something I'm playing with lately. So this year, I've um, incorporated a few things into my uh, herb, my own personal herbal protocol. Um, really into this lion's mane, this is so brand new. This is so 2018 for me that um, using lion's mane regularly is really, I believe um, the more and more that people use this lion's mane, perhaps it will prove itself out over time that, oh, wow, this whole generation that started using lion's mane, they're not getting the levels of dementia or Alzheimer's that this, uh, the other generations. So... Susan has so many good little guidelines, though. Try to eat a medicinal mushroom once a week. You know, buy a bag of dried shiitake mushrooms. It's so easy to just um, make an infusion with the mushrooms. You put them in a jar. I, I weighed two ounces of dried shiitake and put them in a quart jar and pour boiling water over them. And you can use the shiitake broth to cook with. You can even just drink it if you want something with uh, what is that mushroom flavor Umami, umami. You want a little umami flavor? You can uh, drink that as. Uh, and yeah, I would imagine that uh, the mushroom broth would be better if it was a little on the salty side. But I think I'm gonna take a sip of it right now and, and let you know what it is. Hold on. So I um. Yeah, so I pour boiling water over these dried shiitakes, and then it, as I cook throughout the week, I just pull them out of the jar of water and um, cook with them, and um, really lovely. And I think um, as uh, more people in the American public stop using so much processed foods and incorporate a lot of these powerful foods like seaweed and shiitake and lion's mane and all these other wild mushrooms that grow it right here in North America, um, I think... Overall, we are going to um, be able to see through the through the use of data collection and epidemiology that we're going to have less disease. And um, perhaps I'm a little bit too optimistic, but I've also confronted this part of me that's skeptical and cynical, and I believe that that's the feeling of betrayal. And um, you know, having unresolved feelings and not acknowledging when I'm feeling betrayed. Um, yeah, that, that that leads to a skepticism, you know, just a hopelessness. And to balance out, you know, a feeling of skepticism, I really try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, you know, do not make assumptions and, and, and jump on things before I need to. So I am going to take a big gulp of this shiitake uh, nourishing infusion made with dried shiitakes. And it's a lovely color. It's, um, mm, I don't know what, what you call this color. So, ooh, it is, ah, I don't know if it's good more than one or two sips. 
So, a couple sips of that, but who knows? Um, I'm not going to overdo any one thing, but I do like a lot of variety in my life, and I do like to be on the lookout for new things and um, try not to make assumptions one way or the other, just to pay attention. And uh, that seems to be what's given me a lot of happiness lately. I would love to be able to look at some of the other stuff that I wanted to uh, talk about on the show. I hope, hopefully I don't end the show and say, why didn't I talk about that? So I talked about processing herbs and how there's all different um, technologies of processing herbs and having really good, high-quality herbs that I'm investigating. Um, it's fascinating how um, I've been looking at the way Colorado, uh, they, they have everything so regulated with the plant cannabis. And um, um, one way some people harvest their cannabis is they'll ca- harvest it twice. They'll cut off the top of the plant and then let the sun continue to mature the bottom half of the plant. And from what I understand, Colorado does not allow their commercial growers to do that. They have like a seed to um, you know, see, you know, they have to have everything trackable. So the plant has to be harvested all at once. And I don't know, I just heard that from one place. So that's another thing I just wrote down recently. I'm like, what? what's that all about? Like, you know, you're not allowed to harvest a plant. <laughs> the, uh, that's the way. But um, overall, I believe um, CBD is really just a healthy aging medicine. And if you want to age in a healthy way, it's really going to help a lot of people. Uh, I'd, I'd love to be able to look at my blood pressure uh, after I use some CBD, because I'm pretty sure that it lowers my blood pressure in a really short amount of time. And um, I've been eating some really delicious food lately. Um, I, I've been having some goat cheese, and um, I bought, during the Thanksgiving holiday, I, I bought some Spanish cheese and there was a mixture of it. There was a sheep cheese, and then there was a goat cheese, and then there was like a sheep, goat, and um, cow cheese all mixed together. Let me tell you the name of it. It is so good. So I've been all putting that into a salad, regular green salad. Oh, and that's the other thing, too, that um, the CDC came and says, everyone's eating too much romaine lettuce. And uh, so now there's all these different butter lettuces and other things that are actually becoming available. And it is kind of funny that, you know, romaine has just a real nice um, healthy shelf life and people just grab that first. And then something with salmonella where they just yanked everything. It's like every piece of romaine lettuce available in a store has been yanked off the shelves by government mandate, you know, and, I think it's kind of healthy to uh, bounce around and eat different kinds of lettuces and don't just have one kind of lettuce. And perhaps there's health problems if you're eating too much of one thing that um, there, there's natural um, bacteria and microorganisms in all foods. And uh, perhaps it's, it's off, you know, making people a little bit off kilter eating only romaine lettuce and not fooling around with other kinds of lettuce. But, my favorite salad lately, though, is uh, cheese, lettuce, and walnuts. And then uh, I use an I use just dried uh, Italian seasoning with um, a little bit of vinegar. That's the other thing too. Boy, do I eat a lot of vinegar. I uh, I bought a humongous apple cider vinegar at the beginning of this year, 
I do not know if I shared some of it, but I went through over a gallon of vinegar, and I mostly just cooked for myself. I don't, don't remember, but I'm well over drinking an entire gallon of vinegar by myself, but that's basically how I do, do my salads. And Susan Weed also taught me how to make a good salad. You always toss the herbs and the aromatic herbs and the, and the uh, vinegar first, and then you give... After that's all tossed together and the, the leaves are all coated with enough of the vinegar dressing, then you glaze the salad with a nice uh, olive oil. And um, that, that prevents um, the olive oil from keeping everything from, you know, washing the vinegar right off. So it's, it's something to try. I tell you, if you like tossed salad, just toss it first with vinegar and then put on the oil and give it a try. You'll really like it if you like oil and vinegar on your salads. And that is another thing. It just feels so much more nourishing when I'm eating um, green salads with a healthy amount of oil on it. And it does seem to cook it and just make it a lot more absorbable. So um, the other thing that was triggering me online was I was in these Facebook groups for like struggle meals and eating on a budget. And I love that, you know, because I love to travel. And I always say, hey, if I can uh, cut back on my expenses, I'll be able to maybe take travel, you know, travel more. So I love being able to just um, not spend money. on. So I love being in these groups where people are just like living close to the bone. And, and then you see some people there in the groups and they're like, the one group was called Struggle Meals, and it's just people that are poor and just getting by and eating healthy, nutritious food for very little money. And uh, I know my my techniques are brown rice and oatmeal and beans. And um, I'm saying that you know I try to eat sardines at, at least once a week. And but I saw people that just don't seem to know how to feed themselves and. I heard something yesterday saying the, that canned tuna is almost down 50%. And I don't know if it's because people have been scared of mercury. I don't know what it is, but that's quite a lot less tuna being eaten. And that, that was, I guess the person that was reporting this information to I me, mean, they were goofing on millennials saying, oh, most millennials don't own a can opener. And they, <laughs> I was like... I'm not saying, you know, eat, eat canned food every day, but there's certain foods, especially uh, tuna, mackerel, and sardines. They're wonderful canned foods, and they're, um, they're, they're processed at peak, you know, and I've never heard of people getting, like, food poisoning from canned fish, but um, I have heard of people getting mercury poisoning because they're eating swordfish every day. But um, I heard enough. I think the next time I buy canned tuna, though, I think I am going to get the the nice kind that's packed in olive oil. And um, it is funny that there's um, a lot of it varies in um, in um, quality. You know, so you have to, like I said, you know, try try a few different kinds. I I know I always alternate between two brands of sardines lately. So that seems to be. My theme, though, where um, I'm into novelty, but once I lock in one or two things, I just stick with those one or two things. But um, 
perhaps some, you know, the appeal to novelty, you know, it can be tempered and just recognized for what it is that it's an intellectual bias that I, I do uh, favor uh, technology and science and people correcting past mistakes. And um, that was the other thing that was funny when I was looking at fallacies on the Wikipedia pages, and I've been looking at those different intellectual, um, cognitive, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what, logical fallacies. And um, it, it's funny, I've been looking at those for like 10 years and just studying them and learning to recognize it. When someone's starting off an argument with a fallacy, they may be right, but they're arguing in a wrong way by making correlation equal with causation. That's one that is really interesting. That Oh, just because there's a correlation, that means it's causing that. And um, it's uh, the scientific method is our reproducible things, and you, you got to always be shooting for that perfect, you know, and that's what we aim for. And a lot of times we're going to fall short of getting a perfectly reproducible effect. But it is fun to be able to... Um, you know, let's hone in and try to be scientific as herbalists and have reproducible results and um, test, test the medical cannabis we're using. I, um, I live in a medical state where they allow medical use of cannabis, and I just found out that there's a laboratory and you could bring two grams of your cannabis and they'll test it. And I think that's wonderful, you know, that there's going to be more and more data and we're going to really... Um, I, I just feel very optimistic how um, the free market, is, you know, it's, it's helpful in some ways, and in other ways it's absolutely horrifying. Like that movie Stink really blew my mind how um, there's just uh, all, the, all the stuff that's put into our, you know, products, and especially the fragrance industry and how um, they're manipulative when it comes to people's taste buds and smell receptors. You know, they, they know it, that they're playing with people. And um, it is kind of cool, though, that there's other countries outside of the United States that they're looking at it a little bit more carefully with that a little bit less uh, influence of businesses and industry being able to call all the shots instead of um, just, I don't know. if um, I think if they just labeled things, they would be able to um, give everyone the choice. Okay, I don't, I don't even give a shit whether this has chemicals. I like the smell of it, and uh, it's been used for 30 years, and I don't, I don't think it's dangerous. And but they don't even have to label these things lately. They just um, were able to say, um, you know, no. We, it's a really cool movie though, Stink, and hopefully it's still on Netflix and. Netflix is really incredible how they're able to um, not be influenced by, uh, I know that, I don't know how that movie got made, and it's just amazing, and I'm really happy about um, being able to see some cool documentaries lately, and um, I'm getting ready to end the show. I don't know if this person who called in wants to talk, but um, if you press one, you could speak on the show and help me produce the last few minutes of the show. You want to talk? Hold on. Hi, does anyone else want to talk? Okay. You're you're welcome to just call in and listen to the show. So I'm not sure um, 
how how it works. Maybe I'll unmute you again. Yeah, so you're unmuted, and you can check in with me if you want on the online. Okay. Hopefully, I got my volume up. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna I'm getting ready to end the show. I don't think I made it a full two hours, but um. It was funny last last month when I wanted to do the show. I was like, I had no desire to um, do the show this month. I just didn't pull any kind of clips or nothing really was pushing me to do the show. This month I discovered a few of those new shows. I, I popped some clips that were provocative to me, and um, hopefully you enjoyed it. I'm gonna end the show the way I end the way I started it with. Um, the same song, but this was um, the song um, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood was written for one person, and that person's name is Nina Simone. So, Miss Nina Simone will end the show for us tonight, and um, please um, help me produce the show. Send me some clips or send me uh, a YouTube address and tell me what to clip for you. I would love it if more people wanted to hear some clips on this show. And if we can make it more of a group effort where more than one person is pulling clips, I think it's fun. So I'm going to continue doing the show. I'm, I'm having a great time. And um, I love you all. And I'll perhaps be back next month on the first Thursday of the month. But I can't really uh, tell you for sure, but I want to be. All right. So good night. Sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are But that's one thing I never mean to do Cause I love you